The scriptures tell us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. At FCC, we believe that the Bible is the holy word of God after which we pattern our lives. With this in mind, please turn in your Bibles to John 11, 1 through 8 and verses 14 through 32 or follow along on the screens behind me. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Miriam, her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his, wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to, tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Verses 14 through 32. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing, believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Please pray with me. Lord God, help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak. For you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning. It's great to be together in worship, and it's good to have you here. And, and then also, I know there's a number of people that let us know they weren't planning on coming, and we understand why. And so and I know a number of them are joining us uh, on the live feed, and so it's good to have you as well worship with us this morning. And we're grateful that even though I we're dealing with and meeting this challenge, that we're grateful for technology that allows us to um, broadcast our worship services so that those who aren't coming can watch and be a part of that with us. And so this morning we continue the message series on Believe out of the Gospel of John. And there are 34 distinct miracles recorded in the Gospels. Uh, and there are, I'm sure, countless miracles that weren't recorded. There are seven specific miracles recorded in the Gospel of John, and each one of these seven unveil seven dimensions of Jesus' miraculous power, all of them recorded by John, so that we might believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He is the Messiah. 
In chapter 2 of John's Gospel, the miracles begin with Jesus turning water into wine. In chapter 4, Jesus heals a nobleman's son from a long distance away, revealing his lordship over latitude and longitude. In chapter 5, he reveals his mastery over chronology, reversing 38 years of pain and suffering with one command. In chapter 6, Jesus, we are told, feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, proving that in God's kingdom, five plus two does not equal seven. His encore for that miracle is he waltzes across the waters of the Sea of Galilee. And in John chapter 9, as Doug preached last Sunday, uh, we know that Jesus heals a man who'd been blind since birth. And no matter what the Pharisees say, the miracle indicated that Jesus was from God. And just when you think you've seen it all, Jesus turns a tomb into a waiting room in this passage that we're in today in, in chapter 11. Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, is when Jesus calls him to come out. And the miracle foreshadows Jesus' own death and resurrection. And the seven miracles in the Gospel of John are seven signs, and each of the seven point to straight to Jesus, to who he is. And that we might read, when we read about these miracles, that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So let me offer a word of caution. Don't seek miracles. Seek Jesus. If you follow Jesus long enough and far enough, you're eventually going to find yourself in the middle of some miracles. Everyone wants a miracle, but here's the catch. No one wants to be in a situation that necessitates a miracle, do we? We don't want to be in those difficult situations. But of course, you can't have one without the other, can you? The prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. And the bigger the problem, the greater the potential miracle. Let's go back and look through the story in the scripture of chapter 11 and see what God has for us today. And I want to start again in verses 1 through 16. Let me set the scene for you in this part of the passage. Jesus receives a message that his good friend Lazarus is very sick, possibly dying, and it's the request to him is to come immediately if he can. And when we get that phone call, when we get that message or that word that our loved one is very sick and potentially dying usually the call is to come and be with the family come and potentially say uh, that we love this one that we are close to and even potentially to say goodbye now jesus is not getting this request because the sisters want him to come to say goodbye to lazarus he's getting the request because they believe he can come and he can change what what uh, what's going on with lazarus that he can heal Lazarus and keep him from dying. And Jesus responds to the request in two ways. He says, first of all, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, which I'm sure relieved his disciples who were with him, who are all probably close to this family, which Lazarus was a part of. And the second thing he said was, all of this will be so that God and God's Son will be glorified. So, But instead of dropping everything and immediately going to rescue Lazarus, Jesus waits two days before heading to Bethany where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. Have you ever had moments in your life where you felt like God didn't show up when he needed to show up? Where was God? Why did God delay? Or he hasn't helped the way that you hoped he would or that he could. I want you just to hold on to that thought for a few moments. After two days, Jesus decides to go and he tells his disciples it's time to go to be with Lazarus and his family. And we learn about another problem from the text. 
If Jesus and the disciples go to Bethany, they might be killed. In verse 8, the disciples remind him, Hey, Jesus, remember what happened the last time you were in Jerusalem? Bethany's only two, two miles from Jerusalem. You know, the last time we were in that area, the Jews wanted to kill you. The Pharisees wanted to stone you. They tried to stone you. The word on the street is the Pharisees are looking for you, and they want to kill you if they find you. Maybe it's not such a good idea to go. They're concerned about their safety and even their lives. And rightly so. While they go back in this situation, they aren't killed. But we know that just in a few weeks, they are in Jerusalem. And two of the 13 men will be dead at the end of the week. So the threat is real. Jesus tells them that Lazarus has died. And he goes on, he says, But I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake so that you might believe. And so he's saying there's two reasons that I have not been present here. And all this is that ha- that's happening in this situation, he's saying, is so that one, that you might believe and those that are there might believe, and two, that God will be glorified through all of it. So let's take a look at what happens in verses 17 through 37. We learn that when Jesus arrives, that Lazarus has been dead for four days already. Jesus knew about him being sick for only about two or three days. And so even if he had left when he found out, it was too late for him to do a healing miracle to, to keep him from uh, dying from his sickness. And the Jews at that time had a sort of superstition that if somebody was dead less than three days, that they were mostly dead, but not all the way dead. Let me explain that. That their soul had not yet left their body is what they believed. And that it might be possible for some sort of resuscitation. Lazarus was all dead after four days. He was not just mostly dead. The sisters learn that Jesus has come. He's outside the village. Martha comes out to meet Jesus, and we hear her complaints. If only you had been there. If only, Jesus. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think Martha meant any disrespect by what she was saying, but her frustration... And her disappointment seems clear. She declared to Jesus that Lazarus would not have died had he made it to Bethany sooner. And while we see her faith in the Lord, knowing that he was more than able to provide, we also see her despair in the moment. She was hurting from the physical loss of her brother. And also seems apparent she's suffering emotionally as well. And why wouldn't she be? She wondered why the Lord had delayed and had not come as she had requested And we may tend to be critical of Martha in this situation, but I'm certain that all of us at some point have felt the same way. We faced a a difficult situation or we desperately felt like we needed the Lord's help and yet he doesn't seem to respond in the time or the manner that we hope. No doubt we've all complained in situations like this about the Lord's response and timing. And like Martha, we at times have wondered and said to God, if only God or why? Why, God? Or where were you, God? And for many of us, if not all of us, life hasn't always gone the way that we want or the way that we planned. We are not always where we plan or think that we should be, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Life, for most of us at some point, has thrown us a curveball. And more often, that change was difficult and costly. And we're nearing those difficult times of change and uncertainty or loss or even despair, it's natural for us to ask, where is God? Or what on earth is God doing? Or why isn't God doing? You may be in a relationship, a marriage, that hasn't turned out the way that you thought it should. And you're wondering if you can even make it. Maybe your family situation has deteriorated and the well-rounded family that you dreamed of having 
uh, has been nothing short of your worst nightmare. Or for a few years ago, you were comf- comfortable in your career, and now it's been months since you've had a, a job and, uh, and, or an interview for the job, and none of them seem to be near the income that you at one point had made in your life. You feel like throwing in the towel. You're ready to sell your house and move on, but you can't sell because right now you're upside down. You believed in God more when things were good, and now it seems like when you need him the most, he seems silent or distant. Why is God not rushing to help me? And when does he, when, when he does it, it seems too often too late. Why is God not delivering me from this difficult situation? Why is he delaying? And so many are on the edge of physical or financial or emotional or spiritual bankruptcy. We need to be reminded that sometimes our expectations may not be God's plan. Let's continue to look at the passage. In verse 23, Jesus tells Martha, your brother will rise again. Jesus assured Martha that there was nothing to fear that Lazarus would rise again. And yet they make it to the tomb and Martha assumed Jesus was referring to the resurrection at the end times. But there must have been some comfort in his words. Death had invaded their home. But it would not be the final. Consider the hope promised through Jesus' power in resurrection. As he told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He tells her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Death had come to their home, but Jesus revealed abounding hope. Death seemed final, and I'm sure it brought great despair to this family and to their friends. But Martha stood in the presence of the one who could provide the power for resurrection life. Martha responds to this question, do you believe? She says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. She's affirming her faith even in the midst of great sorrow and despair. She doesn't fully understand the implications of what she's saying. She doesn't fully understand the implications that Jesus, who she believes to be the Messiah, the Son of God, of the power that he holds within him. But she believes as best as she can. I'm going to say it again. Our expectations may not be God's plan. Our if-only or our why-God complaints are often short-sighted. We don't or we can't see God's plan in the big picture Remember that Jesus said all of this that was happening in this story was going to happen so that they might believe and that God would be glorified. So all the pain that the sisters and the family and the friends are experiencing, all of it was for their benefit that they might believe and for God's glory. God may allow the death of your dreams or your hopes, not because he's cruel, but for your sake so that you might believe He may allow the false ideal that you have about your marriage to die so that you might believe and have it become what it should be. He might allow that sense of identity that you receive from your job or for the level of income that you receive from your job to die so that you may believe and find your identity in Christ. He might allow the illusions that you have of the world to die so that you may believe and see the reality of the supreme God. God may choose to not meet our expectations, so our faith and our trust will be put in Him. We have to decide, will we put our trust 
in what we want God to do or to be or in who God is. There's a big difference. Martha goes back in the story to their home, and now Mary comes out to meet with Jesus outside the village, and she has the same regret as her sister. Lord, if only, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. Then John tells us in the next verse that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And the sight of all of it caused Jesus deep emotion. The verb rendered deeply troubled is an unusual one. The word was also used to mean for the snorting of horses about to go into battle. And when it's used for people, it usually denotes anger. And that's the meaning here. It it probably means anger that Jesus has against death. It also probably is referring to his deep concern and the indignation that he has at the attitude of the mourners. They're so completely misunderstand the nature of death, and who stood before them? The resurrection and the life, God's Son. And then we read one of the most remarkable verses, I think, in all of the Bible. Then Jesus wept. And this, the shortest verse of the Bible. The noteworthy thing is a different word used for weeping that is used of Mary and the the mourners that are there, the Jews. The word used of them means a loud, demonstrative form of mourning, a wailing. But the word used of Jesus, weeping, signifies rather a a quiet weeping. Jesus did not wail loudly, but he was deeply grieved. And in verse 33, this will not be because of the death of his friend, because we know that he's there. He knows that he's going to be raising him from the dead. It's because of the misconceptions of those around them and their lack of understanding of who he was. Let's go on and read more of the passage that we haven't read yet. Verses 38 through 44. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's going to be a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you have sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead men came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. We're told that Jesus comes to the tomb of his friends, still deeply troubled, and he says, take away the stone. And we hear a new complaint. Instead of, if only God, or where were you, God? Now the complaint is, Jesus, don't take the stone away. Don't you know what the smell's going to be like? Don't you know how bad that's going to be? Don't make us go through that, Jesus. How do we respond when God stands in front of the tomb where we've buried a disappointment or a hurt and asks us to roll away the cover so that he can work on whatever we've buried? What's buried or wrapped in grave clothes or held in chains that we're afraid to allow God to look at and to redeem or to heal or to set free? Jesus said in John 8, 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
Too often, we're scared. And in fear, we respond, God, don't go there. It's going to stink. God, don't, don't go there. It's going to hurt. Please, Lord, don't make me deal with that. What, you, what have you buried with regret or shame or disappointment or hurt or bitterness that you're afraid to open up to the resurrection and the life of Christ? There are many things that can hold us in chains. Some are held by captive by addictions. Right? Alcohol, drugs, sex, or other addictions. Some are held captive by money, possessions, the pursuit of material things. Some are held captive by relationships, hurts, painful memories. Some are held captive by fear, fear of the past, fear of the future, fear of today. But no matter what holds you in chains today, Jesus can set you free. Just as he set Lazarus free from death, free from the grave and free from the trappings of his grave clothes, he can set you free. If the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. Remember again, Jesus said in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If Jesus, think about this, if Jesus had healed Lazarus before he died from the sickness, only the disciples and Lazarus' family would have witnessed that. But because of his death, And all the mourners that were there, the crowd that was there to mourn, they all saw a resurrection and believed. So your dreams, your goals may have to go through death and be resurrected in order for others to believe. Is that possible? Would God allow that to happen? Is that part of his plan? That your hopes or your dreams or your expectations he might allow to die? And then be resurrected in a different way than you expected so that others might believe? Wow. Think about the sovereignty of God and all of that. And then Jesus called out in a loud voice in the story. He said, Lazarus, come out. And for the first time ever, a dead man walked out of the grave. And all who were there witnessed maybe the greatest miracle in history up until that point. And what was their response? Well, verses 45 and 46 tell us. Look at 45 and 46. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some believed in Jesus, but some didn't. What do you believe? Forty years ago, one of the greatest sports uh, upsets ever occurred. In the Olympics, the Winter Olympics that year, uh, the U.S. hockey team played the Soviets. And the Soviets in, in hockey in the Olympics, the Soviets had the greatest team at that point in history, hockey team in the world. They're, they were professional athletes that were playing for the Soviets. They had just a few weeks earlier pr- played the professional United States hockey players, all-stars in the game, and had crushed the United States all-star professional hockey players. They played the Canadian all-star professional players and had crushed them in a game just a few weeks before. And now in the Olympics, the U.S. was still playing with amateur players. They were playing with college all-stars. And so in this Olympics, this amazing thing happened as in the medal round as the United States played the Soviet Union. Now you can understand that hockey in Russia is the sport. It's kind of like in America, basketball, like Right? So you need to understand it's like this. If we were to pull together our greatest all-stars, NBA all-stars, to play basketball and play in a game, and it was only the Russian college all-stars, 
to play us in a basketball game, we'd crush them, wouldn't we? We'd kill them by 30 or 50 points. But in this one game in the medal round, the United States team beat the professional Soviet team. And so you probably remember this if you're over the age of 50. If you're under the age of 50, you might know about it because of a really awesome movie that Disney made about 15 years ago called Miracle. But I'm going to play a clip from this game. So let's watch the end of this game and, and we'll talk a little bit about it. It really did happen. It's so cool the play-by-play that Al Michaels is giving. You know, at the end, he's like, before the game's even over, he's like, do you believe in miracles? He doesn't even wait for the answer. He's like, yes. And then the play-by-play guy, Ken Dryden, who was a professional hockey player, in the background you can see him, hear him saying, unbelievable. Like this is the most amazing sports thing that had ever happened. What if? What about when our complaints, if only God, Where are you, God? Why, God? If our only God complains, meet the I am. Meet the I am, the resurrection, and the life. Then anything is possible. How do you respond to Jesus' question? Do you believe? Do you? Just a few weeks from this moment, Jesus will be crucified and buried. And after three days in the tomb, he will be raised from the dead, just like Lazarus was. And now Michael's asked the question again, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe this miracle, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that even when He doesn't meet your expectations, that He is still working and His plan is even greater than our expectations? Do you see by believing in Christ, uh, who is the resurrection and the life, that we have the promise of life, eternal life, salvation through Him, that death will not be the final word, But not only eternal life, but Christ wants to transform our life here and now. That He told us when He came, He said, I came to give you life, life abundantly. And He's not just talking about the future. He's talking about life now. So when we commit to to Christ, it's a win-win. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's saying, whether I continue to live in this body and in, the, in this world, even with its challenges, it's a win because I get to do it in the power of Christ. But if I die, it's a win too because I get to go to heaven and be directly in the Lord's presence. It's a no-lose proposition. We don't know what's going to happen as a result of, what, of the coronavirus in our world today. We can't predict the future. But I believe as Christians, we have nothing to fear. I don't mean that we shouldn't protect ourselves or others from contracting or spreading the virus. That's not what I'm talking about. No, I believe that we know that our trust is in Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. We know our future is secure, even if we contract the virus. I remember when Lori Fabrizius from our church was diagnosed with brain cancer, and I went to meet with her and Mike, her husband, before her first brain surgery, to pray with her and to encourage them. 
And I'll never forget her response as we discussed, as we talked. She told me, Pastor West, no, well, I want you to know, no matter what happens in this situation, I see it as a win-win. What? And she says, well, here's the thing. She goes, you know what? No matter how this turns out, it's a win-win. Whether I live or I die, I win. Because either way, if I live, I get to live for Christ. If I die, I get to be with Christ. And through all of it, God is glorified. And God was glorified through it all. Through her suffering, through her testimony of the struggle that she experienced going through the disease of people working with her, through her death, through the service and the testimony given at the service that so many people heard about her faith and about Christ and through her everlasting life by Christ and through Christ. Have you chosen to believe so that you can experience the blessing of what Christ has done and what he offers to do for all of us? It's the best win-win possible. It's the biggest and the best miracle ever. Do you believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you have given to us, this story that's come to us through your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible miracle that you performed, that you not only said that you were the resurrection and the life, but then you demonstrated it by bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And Jesus, we thank you that you then went and died yourself for our sins and were bar- it was buried for three days, but you, in the power of God's love, were resurrected so that we might now experience the resurrection and the life through you. And if you're in a situation right now where you are ready to believe, I just want to invite you to pray quietly in your heart with me as I pray this prayer out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for being raised from the dead. All of it for my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you are God's Son. I believe And I want to follow you as my Savior. I'm sorry for all the sins that I've committed. And I just intend to follow you with my life as best as I can. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. And Lord, we give you praise and glory for all who have believed. Lord, we're thankful for how you have affirmed the faith that we have in and through Christ. Father, we pray that we might um, be strong witnesses that we would continue to live our life confidently, no matter what we face, knowing it's a win-win when we have life in Christ. And so, God, we pray that you would continue to affirm our faith in and through with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.